As we look at God's word today, we want to continue in our series called Changed because we believe that Jesus changes everything in the believer's life. And and as we're looking at this change that happens, last week we saw in Romans chapter 5 that Jesus changes our legal status before God, that we are justified by faith in Jesus, but also he changes our relationship status with God, that we're reconciled. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. And while we were enemies and sinners, Jesus died for us so that we would be made right with God legally and relationally. And today we want to come to Second Corinthians chapter five. As we're looking at this passage of scripture, it's going to be made clear to us the key element in the Christian's life that's been transformed and changed. And Today, for part one of two parts in this passage of Scripture, I want to just focus on on one verse and really one phrase within that verse to help us understand the key to the whole Christian life, what it looks like to walk in this changed life. So I want you to look at verse 17 with me, if you would. This is what God's Word says today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Yeah, you know, one of the things as we read this that really just kind of jumps out at me uh, is this reality that Jesus doesn't just make us better, right? So it's not just an improvement. He actually changes us. There's a change that's happening. He makes us new. Yeah, yeah I, and I think that's a, a key reality for us is we have a... We have a new identity. We are new people. We're a new creation. And, and if we think of it as only an improvement, mm-hmm. then it's really easy for us to go back to our old life. Right. If we understand that we're new, then we have a new nature. We have a new reality. We have a new purpose. And, and this is the real change that we want to pay attention to today. What's changed for the believer in Jesus Christ? The crucified and resurrected Jesus changes everything for us. And it's not just that we've been justified. That's that's. Huge. In fact, that's preeminent in everything to do with the Christian life, that we've, we have this legal standing with God now that we are made right with God, and everything flows from that. But he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just declare us innocent. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just reconcile us and say, now you're my friend, now you're my child. But he draws us in and gives us this phrase that shows up over and over and over again in the New Testament. It's right here in verse 17. Look at look at the way this plays out. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So everything else in this passage is hinged on if you are in Christ. Mm -hmm. This phrase in Christ is key to the rest of our understanding of what it looks like to be a changed follower of Jesus. I mean, you can see all of the things that change for the believer in the passage. In the Bible, what we're taught really clearly is our, our perspective change that happens from being self-centered to others-centered. We have a changed perspective for regarding people by their earthly status to their spiritual status. In this passage of Scripture that Kenny read earlier, we have a changed purpose from being enemies of God to now being ambassadors for Christ. Those are huge changes, and next week we're going to look at those changes and how that plays out but today we need to see this in christ is the conditional reality that we need to drill down on it starts with if this conditional term makes it clear that the new creature status this newness that you were Mm -hmm. talking about the new perspective and new standing with god this new purpose and this new position with god is all contingent on anyone in christ if you are in christ This term in Christ is foundational to every aspect of the change that Jesus is doing in our lives. Every aspect of change in the Christian life. 
In Christ, we find our true identity. In Christ, we find our true life. In Christ, we are new creatures with a new perspective, a new identity, and a new purpose. And so today I wanted to drill down on just those two words, really, for a few moments. And the, the first aspect of this new life in Christ, what does it mean for us to be in Christ? How, how do we relate in this way in Christ? The first really focuses on the action of God in saving us in Christ. Last week we said justification and reconciliation, all the work of God through Jesus Christ, right? And so the New Testament just over and over and over again shows us all the benefits of the Christian life. All the benefits of this changed life are found in Christ. And, and I think this is key, Kenny, because oftentimes we think even though we can't earn salvation, that all the benefits of on earth as Christians comes from how hard we work as Christians, mm, right. how much good we can do as Christians, how how good we are at being good Christians. Kind of like God saves us and then kind of leaves it up to us from there on out. Yeah, right? if you're going to get the favor of God, you better work really hard. Right. You better pray right. You better read yeah. your Bible right. You better have the right translation of the Bible. You better all, all kinds of go to the right church. Make sure you have all of these mm-hmm. things ticked off your list in order to get the benefits. But that's just not the case according to Scripture. So let me just unpack several of these that the Bible tells us that we find in Christ Okay? In 2 Timothy 1.9, we read this. He gave us grace in Christ Jesus before the ages began. That we received grace in Christ. Even before creation, God was showering us with grace in Christ. So all the grace that we experience as believers is in Christ. We say, secondly, uh, the love of God has been and is continuing to be shown to us. And, and we are secured by the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 38 through 39 tells us, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Um, that's a lot of things. In fact, that's mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Is able, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the love of God that has been shown to us and the love of God that secures us is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We don't have to wonder if God loves us. We can look back to the cross and the resurrection and know that God loves us. Well, I think that's so uh, encouraging to us because kind of like what we were just saying with maybe sometimes we have this kind of faulty thinking that God saves us and the rest is up to us. Maybe we sometimes can fall into this thinking that God's um, disposition towards us is, especially in moments of our weaknesses, of our sin, is somewhat exasperated, somewhat flustered, getting a little like... Oh, yeah, yeah, I saved you, and now like we you, get with five-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, like I let you off the hook, and now this is what you do. But, I mean, this speaks so much to that that's not the case. Yeah, no, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, third, we have redemption and forgiveness in Christ. Ephesians 1, 7, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You have no forgiveness and redemption outside of Jesus Christ. Uh, fourth, we have all the promises of God finding their yes in Christ. All the promises of God from the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus. And the scripture bears that out in Second Corinthians 1, verse 20. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. When we want to know what God is up to and how he's fulfilling all those promises to never leave us or forsake us, we look at Jesus. Mm-hmm. All the promises of having a plan to prosper us, we look at Jesus. And, and we begin to understand what those plans really are. We, we have the peace of God 
in Christ, to guard our hearts and our minds. Philippians 4, verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. The peace that if you're a believer right now that you have in the middle of this pandemic comes from being in Christ. All of that peace is found in Christ Jesus. It guards your heart. It guards your mind. Uh, we have every need supplied. So I think oftentimes we, we think, okay, if I pray right, if I do all these things, then not only is God going to be pleased with me and I'll get some benefits, but I also get all my needs mm-hmm. supplied. But what we're told here is all of your needs are supplied in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My favorite part of that verse is not just the in Christ Jesus, it's that he's providing for us according to his riches and glory. How many riches does God have? Yeah. Have you really considered that before? How many riches does God have? So that means that his goodness to us, his provision for us is dependent not on us, but him, right? His will, his his richness, his his being, man, that's really encouraging. Yeah, it should it should lift our hearts, lift our eyes, because of being in Christ. All of the work of God in saving us is in Christ. All of the benefits of God for the believer are in Christ. In fact, we're even told we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Uh, for the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 tells us. But the free gift of God is eternal life. What do you think's next? In Christ Jesus our Lord. We, we have eternal life. We are secure for eternity by the love of God in Christ Jesus and because our life is now hidden in Christ Jesus, that we have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then this passage tells us that we become new creatures in Christ Jesus and we become the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus, all the righteousness, all the goodness that we have is in Christ Jesus. So if you're wondering if God is for you today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is he for Jesus? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. If you want to know if God is for us, then are you in Christ Jesus? Because he's definitely for Jesus. And that should be an encouragement and bolster us in the middle of whatever trials come our way. But I think this passage doesn't just focus in on the God side of this and the action of God in saving us in Christ. That, that's, a, that's a huge aspect in the New Testament. But this passage seems to be drilling down on maybe even something more applicable to us, and, and that's the positional and relational aspect to being in Christ. So it's not just the action of God. There's also the fact that we are are in Christ Jesus. There's a relationship, mm-hmm. a union with Christ, the, this idea of being united to Christ and being one with him. So the, the first New Testament way to talk about in Christ is what we were talking about last week, that justification and uh, reconciliation are all in Christ, mm-hmm. are all done by God through Christ, all the work of God. But there's something even even more beautiful, more personal and and really more transformational in our lives. And we're given this notion of being in Christ, not just to define what God has done, but to define us, mm-hmm. right? There's a big difference between defining action of God and defining us. So it's not just, hey, good news. God saved you in Christ Jesus. That's great news. It's the best news. But he applies it also in this way. And he holds you, he secures you, he continues to work in you and save you and transform you to change you because he's now united you in Christ Jesus. You are one with Christ. So what does this mean to be in Christ? You know, I, 
If you were to guess what the primary way, I'm kind of setting Kenny up here. If you were to guess what the primary way the New Testament talks about believers in Christ, what do you think it is? Mm, like abiding, abiding in Christ. Yeah, the term in Christ. It's not Christian. Yeah, Christian isn't really a thing yeah. in in the New Testament. The way the New Testament talks about us as believers, those who have come to faith in Jesus, is that we are in Christ mm-hmm. Jesus. It's on almost every page. Yeah of the letters of Paul and Peter. All throughout Scripture, we're told we are in Christ Jesus. This is the primary way we are to understand ourselves as believers in Jesus. It's the overwhelmingly most common way we're referred to in the Bible. So it might be that we we want to change the way we talk about being a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. I've kind of said this for a while. The, the word Christian doesn't necessarily hold the water it used to, hold the weight yeah. that it used to. Because we're not sure what it means. It's cultural. It's political. It, it carries all kinds of ideas with it. But the term in Christ as a definition for us, as the New Testament tells us we are, it, it's important for us to understand this is all of us who are followers of Christ. This is all of us. We have a position and a relationship as believers in Christ, that we are found in Christ Jesus. And this isn't an optional position. This isn't for some just super believers, mm-hmm. for super Christians and not for others. This is for everyone. We are in Christ. It's the status of every believer in Christ. It is our identity. You said earlier, you know, what really this comes down to is this is because all of this is the work of God. It's mm-hmm. all contingent on God. And I think sometimes we think that our status with God is based on how many people we can share the gospel with, mm-hmm. right? right? Yeah, yeah. They, how many times we go to church during a week, which we're all in big trouble if that's the measurement right now. Yeah, right? again, I mean, we I think we just get such a performance-based mentality that all of this is contingent somehow on, even if we are, are willing to believe that it's grace alone through faith alone, yet somehow our status or our continuing in that is somehow contingent on what we can do, what we can do for God, what we can bring to the table, as yeah. it were. And, and so... And I think this is a problem that goes throughout our culture is what do we offer God? Well, Mm -hmm. the notion of being in Christ just throws that out the window. We don't offer God anything. What he offers us is himself. Mm -hmm. And that's all we have to stand on. That's the only leg we have to stand on is that we are found in Christ. It is a positional reality for every believer in Christ to have died to sin with Christ and to live with him through his resurrection. This is what Romans 6 tells us, is that now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You want to know what's next? In Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the mark of every believer. This is the positional, relational reality of every believer. This is what it means to be reconciled to God, mm-hmm. is that now we're united to Christ, that we are united to Christ. He's the one who's accomplished that reconciliation. And, and I, I just I, I came across this quote and I thought it was just so helpful And you're going to hear me repeat it over and over again by Sam Albury, and this is what it says. We will never be our truer selves than when we are warring against sin and pursuing being one with Christ. Mm -hmm. 
we, you know, we talk all the time. Be true to yourself. Be, mm-hmm. be, be true to yourself. You only live once. Live your best life. Now, whatever you want to call it, it's all about following your heart. The fact of the matter is, for the believer in Christ, you will never be your truer self unless you are warring against sin and pursuing Christ. Pursuing this union with Christ, being one with Christ. And, and so this is the primary way we are to understand ourselves as believers in Christ. But what does it look like? That's right. the question that the, we need to uh, we need to yeah. really dive the into. Yeah, what's the nuts and bolts? And, and sometimes nuts and bolts are hard, and so the Bible gives us images, gives mm-hmm. us metaphors to, to hang our hat on. And, and the first one that Scripture uh, gives us that I want to dive into, here's three from the New Testament that are helpful. The first is vine and branches. This is in John chapter 15. Where you said it earlier, it's this is a primary abide yeah. in me. Yeah. So Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things. You can do <laughs> a little bit. You can do good stuff. No, it says you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. Like literally can accomplish nothing. No life, no fruit. No joy, no peace, no love outside of abiding in Christ. We are organically, spiritually united to Jesus as believers in Christ. The life we have, the fruit we bear, the love we give, the joy we possess. I mean, all of it. Life, fruit, love, and joy all come from the vine. And isn't that grace, too? That what we're called to be, what we're called to do, is given to us when we abide. Yeah. It, 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 when we're united to Christ, he doesn't say, hey, I want you to be loving. He goes, I love you so you can love. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want you to be joyful. You better be joyful. Right. Jesus is going, no, I am full of joy and giving you joy so you can be joyful. This is what it is to abide in Christ, to actually dwell in Christ. John 15. The, the second one is marriage. The second image in scripture is marriage from first corinthians chapter six we see a picture of what it looks like and you may be here and you're you're not married and you go okay thanks for reminding me of that but i i want you to see the picture because we know people who are married so Mm -hmm. we we know good marriages we know bad marriages we know what marriage is supposed to look like we know what what bad marriages look like and and in first corinthians chapter six verses 15 through 20 this is what scripture tells us the apostle paul writes do you not know that your bodies are members of christ Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Now, I mean, that's harsh. Like, Paul is all about ratcheting things up quite a bit, and he ratchets it up here. Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We are members of Christ, and the argument he's making here is just like husband and wife become one flesh, we are married to the Lord spiritually when we come to faith in Jesus. When we're justified and reconciled, we're, we're in this new relationship where we become one spirit with him. We are joined spiritually with him in the same way physically husband and wife are. So now we have one spirit with the Lord. Our bodies, therefore, he argues, are then meant to glorify God because Jesus dwells within us by his spirit. So again, it's, it's kind of that it still starts with grace. In light of this, 
than this. In yeah. light of the grace of God, the transformation that's happened because of God's grace, than this. It, yeah. It's not backwards. As soon as we get that backwards, we get in some trouble. Do this so that you can be transformed. Do this so that you can receive God's grace. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's complete. It always starts with God's grace and God's work and God's transforming power. Absolutely. And it just specifically about this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, flee sexual immorality. And what's his reasoning for fleeing sexual immorality? Because Christ dwells in you. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, flee sexual immorality so, so that, that Christ, Christ will, so you can right. be good enough for Christ to dwell exactly. in you. Exactly. Yeah. Flee because Christ lives in you. This is, this is a charge to believers. And, and so we need to follow these commands Simply because the grace has already been mm-hmm. shown to us. And so remembering to honor the Lord with our bodies, honor the Lord in our lives because we've been given this great grace and because we've been united to Christ. The third, uh, the third image I want you to see in the New Testament is Jesus is the head of the body. So we're body parts within the body and he's the head of the body and the body is the church. And Ephesians 4 puts it this way. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the image is really simple. Mm-hmm. Christ is the head. We're body parts. We're the body all fitted together. And when we're operating correctly, we build up in maturity. We build one another up in maturity. We grow together into Christ. We all become more like Christ who is the head. But there's a second aspect of this. Also, it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. The body doesn't hold together unless the head holds it together. Mm-hmm. So in order for us to grow up into maturity, we have to get something from the head who is Christ. So this is the mysterious union of being God's people united to him. We are body parts, members of the body with Christ as our head. And as we grow together, we are growing up into Christ's likeness. And everything we need to grow comes from Christ, the head. This is what it means to be in Christ. So we have abiding like a vine and branches we have the, the marriage metaphor, and now here we have the, the body. I mean, all of these are a unifying uh, kind of imagery, this idea of being in Christ. It's a very uh, unifying, united in Christ uh, image over Absolutely. and over and over again. Absolutely. It, there's no, nobody gets to be separate. You can't right. have a body where a hand decides it wants to hang out by itself, right? Mm-hmm. You can't have a marriage that's, that's healthy with one of the spouses saying, I don't really want any part of this. My heart isn't in it. It's mm-hmm. just not going to be healthy and you're not going to be honoring your spouse. There's a relationship where everyone, all of us who claim Christ are in Christ. All of us who have trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, all who have repented of our sins and trusted Christ as Lord and Savior are in Christ. And these images are meant to bolster us in the middle of our lives. You know, it's funny because I think, you know, especially... Today, we have such an individualistic mindset a lot of times, and, and sometimes even with our faith. It's very individualistic. It's our spirituality. And yet, as we were talking about, one of the main definitions of Christians, of believers, is in Christ, which is a very inclusive 
language, not just kind of you doing your thing, you and Jesus, but this, I mean, whether it's the marriage, whether it's the vine and branches, the, the, the body, the head, they're all inclusive images unifying us. There's a togetherness, not just with Jesus, but also yeah, with we're, each we're other. We're together as well. And, and Socially is, distant together, but still <laughs> together. This is so essential for us to grasp. This biblical concept of being in Christ is so essential for us to grasp, to explore, and to understand because... It really makes sense of God's method of how he saved us. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't just save us in Christ by justifying us in Christ and reconciling us in Christ. He also holds us in Christ. Yeah. But it also makes sense then if we're united to Christ in this spiritual union, how then Jesus could die in our place. Mm-hmm. Right now, because we are united to him in his death and this union continues through the resurrection, and this union continues every day as believers, we begin to understand how Jesus could die in our place, that we've been justified and reconciled, that because we have been joined to him, he could take our sin and we could get his righteousness. That's what verse 21 tells us is this makes sense of that whole salvation experience and salvation plan of God that he would unite salvation to Jesus and then unite us to Jesus as well. Kind of like what Paul says, I think, in Romans, where you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You know, there's only two options, either sin and death or or life in Christ. You're in something. You're a part of something. That's absolutely right. We are going to be worshipers of something, and we are going to be united to something. The question is whether we are united in our position and in our relationship in Christ. Christ Jesus. Think about what that affords us. This is the whole picture of salvation. Jesus stands in our place. We could receive the benefits of his death and resurrection. He dies for us and we could die with him to sin because we're united to him. He could raise for us and we are raised with him. He's seated in the heavenlies and we are seated with him and our position is secure. In him. This is the hope of the whole gospel. The hope of God's salvation plan is found in being in Christ. But the second reason it's really important is it really makes sense of the whole Christian life. To be in Christ really gives us a sense of what it looks like to be a Christian. I know in my own heart that I am still at war with sin within me. And there are outside pressures all the time that are tempting me to sin. But but. Because our truest self is making war against sin because Jesus defeated sin and we are in Christ, it makes sense then that we find our real identity in making war against sin and pursuing Jesus because we're in him. We're in him, and so our truest identity is found there. In Romans 8, we're told because we're in Christ Jesus, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Just think about the good news of that. It, it makes sense that we could stand justified, reconciled, forgiven, and no more condemnation because there's no condemnation for Jesus. He took all the condemnation on the cross and he rose again, defeating sin and death, and now we stand in him. It gets back to what we said at kind of at the beginning, this idea that Jesus doesn't make us better. We're not standing in our righteousness before God that we've achieved. We stand in his righteousness that he and achieved him that he achieved and gives to us by his grace. And this is the whole Christian life. This is the hope of the whole Christian life. So Christian, if you're struggling with sin today, Jesus has lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death for you and risen victorious over your sin and death. 
You are in Christ Jesus, so you can make war with that sin because it's already defeated. It's defeated in Christ Jesus. And that makes the hopeful Christian life something that makes sense, even in the midst of our struggles. And the eternal ramifications of that are are huge because our eternal security then is found in Christ Jesus. And that leads me to the third reason why it's really important for us to to get this idea of in Christ, because it is the dividing line of all humanity. You are either in Christ or you're in Adam, as you said. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. People are either in or they are not. People have either died to sin by trusting the death of Christ or they are still dead in their trespasses and sins. People are either raised with Christ through his resurrection or they remain under judgment for their sin nature and their willful sinfulness. People either have a future guarantee of life in Christ for eternity or people will remain outside of Christ for eternity getting exactly what they wanted in this life just for eternity. You see, heaven isn't a change of position for the believer. It's a change of location. But being in Christ is the current position for the believer. And hell is not a change of position for someone who has rejected Christ. No, hell is just a a change of location. It's just the eternal realization of the desire to live your own life, to live apart from Jesus. And he gives you that for eternity, apart from separated from Christ. And, And so today, as we look at this theme of in Christ, and next week as we unpack for the believer how life has really changed. The question for us today is, are you united to Christ? Are you in Christ Jesus? Have you been justified in Christ? Have you been reconciled by Christ? Are you walking in Christ? Do you trust in Christ? Today is the day to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, that in Christ you find salvation, you find rest for your souls, you find eternal hope, you find eternal life, you find all that Scripture promises us, forgiveness for your sins, redemption by his blood in Christ Jesus. Peace with God is in Christ. Eternal life is in Christ. And to trust Christ to be your one way, your one truth, your one life is the call today. Would you trust Jesus today? If, you, if you're listening to this today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to call on you today to trust Christ. He, he's speaking through his word today by his spirit to you that you would believe that Jesus is Lord. And call upon the name of the Lord. Would you call upon him today? Turn from your own self-sufficiency. Turn from your own self-adequacy. Turn from your unrighteousness and your self-righteousness. And turn to the righteousness that comes only from being in Christ Jesus. Trust Jesus today. That's how I want to close today is just to pray for all of us. Believers that we would rest being in Christ Jesus, that we would make war against sin because that's our truest self is to make war against sin because Jesus has defeated sin and that we would walk in the truth of being in Christ Jesus, that we would rest knowing that we are secure in him for eternity. And if you're on this today and you've never trusted Jesus, call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in Christ Jesus we have all the blessings that you have poured out through your son. And we have eternal security in him that no one can snatch us from your hand because we are found in Christ. We thank you that you are for Jesus, so you are for us as your people. Lord, I pray that if anyone is watching this today and does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today you would You would reach down by your grace and your mercy and you would pull them out of their unrighteousness and self-righteousness and 
turn them to Christ, that they would see his beauty and his glory. They would see his sacrifice and they would be united to Jesus by grace through faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.